Chapter Twelve of The Last of the Plainsmen by Zane Grey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Vendetti. MikeVendetti.com. The Last of the Plainsmen by Zane Grey. Chapter Twelve. Old Tom. At daybreak, our leader routed us out. The frost mantled the ground so heavily that it looked like snow, and the rare atmosphere bit like the breath of winter. The forest stood solemn and gray. The canyon lay wrapped in vapory slumber. Hot biscuits and coffee, with a chop or two of the delicious Persian lamb meat, put a less spartan tinge on the morning, and gave Wallace and me more strength. We needed not incentive to leave the fire, hustle our saddles on the horses, and get in line with our impatient leader. The hounds scampered over the frost, shoving their noses at the tufts of grass and bluebells. Lawson and Jim remained in camp. The rest of us trooped southwest. A mile or so in that direction the forest of pine ended abruptly, and a wide belt of low scrubby oak trees, breast high to a horse, fringed the rim of the canyon and appeared to broaden out and grow wavy southward. The edge of the forest was as dark and regular as if a band of woodchoppers had trimmed it. We threaded our way through this thicket, all peering into the bisecting deer trails for cougar tracks in the dust. "'Bring dogs! Hurry!' suddenly called Jones from a thicket. We lost no time complying and found him standing in a trail, with his eyes on the sand. "'Take a look, boys. A good-sized male cougar passed here last night. "'Here, Sounder! Don! Mose! Come on!' It was a nervous, excited pack of hounds. Old Jude got to Jones first, and she sang out. Then Sounder opened his big, ringing bay, and before Jones could mount, a string of yelping dogs sailed straight for the forest. "'Who's along, boys?' yelled Frank, wheeling Spot. With the cowboy leading, we strung into the pines, and I found myself behind. Presently even Wallace disappeared. I almost threw the reins at Satan and yelled for him to go. The result enlightened me. Like an arrow from a bow, the black shot forward. Frank had told me of his speed, that when he found his stride it was like riding a flying feather to be on him. Jones, fearing he would kill me, had cautioned me always to hold him in, which I had done. Satan stretched out with long, graceful motions. He did not turn aside for logs, but cleared them with easy and powerful spring and he swerved only slightly for the trees. This latter, I saw at once, made the danger for me. It became a matter of saving my legs and dodging branches. The imperative need of this came to me with convincing force. I dodged a branch on one tree, only to be caught square in the middle by a snag on another. Crack! If the snag had not broken, Satan would have gone on riderless, and I would have been left hanging a pathetic and drooping monotone to the risks of the hunt. I kept ducking my head, now and then falling flat over the pommel to avoid a limb that would have brushed me off, and hugging the flanks of my horse with my knees. Soon I was at Wallace's heels, and had Jones in sight. Now and then glimpses of Frank's white horse gleamed through the trees. We began to circle toward the south, to go up and down shallow hollows, to find the pines thinning out. Then we shot out of the forest into the scrubby oak. Riding through this brush was the cruelest kind of work, but Satan kept on close to the sorrel. The hollows began to get deeper and the ridges between them narrower. No longer could we keep a straight course. 
On the crest of one of these ridges we found Jones awaiting us. Judge, Teague, and Don lay panting at his feet. Plainly the colonel appeared vexed. Listen, he said, when he reined in. We complied, but did not hear a sound. Frank's beyond there some place, continued Jones, but I can't see him nor hear the hounds any more. Don and Teague split again on deer trails. Old Jude hung on the lion track, but I stopped her here. There's something I can't figure. Mose held a bee-line southwest, and he yelled seldom. Sounder gradually stopped being. Maybe Frank can tell us something. Jones's long-drawn-out signal was answered from the direction he expected, and after a little time, Frank's white horse shone out of the gray-green of a ridge a mile away. This drew my attention to our position. We were on a high ridge out in the open, and I could see fifty miles of the shaggy slopes of buckskin. Southward the gray ragged line seemed to stop suddenly, and beyond it purple haze hung over a void I knew to be the canyon. And facing west I came to at last, to understand perfectly the meaning of the breaks in the Siwash. They were nothing more than ravines that headed up on the slopes and ran down, getting deeper and steeper, though scarcely wider, to break into the canyon. Knife-crested ridges rolled westward, wave on wave, like the billows of a sea. I appreciated that these breaks were, at their sources, little washes easy to jump across, and at their mouths a mile deep and impassable. Huge pine trees shaded these gullies, to give way to the gray growth of stunted oak, which in turn merged into the dark green of pinion. A wonderful country for deer and lions, it seemed to me, but impassable, all but impossible for a hunter. Frank soon appeared, brushing through the bending oaks, and Sounder trotted along behind him. "'Where's Mose?' inquired Jones. "'Last I heard of Mose, he was out on the brush going across the pinion flat, right for the canyon. He had a hot trail.' "'Well, we're certain for one thing. If it was a deer, he won't come back soon. And if it was a lion, he'll tree it, lose the scent, and come back. We've got to show the hounds a lion in a tree. They'd run a hot trail, bump into a tree, and then be at fault. What was wrong with Sounder? I don't know. He came back to me. We can't trust him or any of them yet. Still, maybe they're doing better than we know. The outcome of the chase so favorably started was a disappointment, which we all felt keenly. After some discussion, we turned south, intending to ride down to the rim wall and follow it back to the camp. I happened to turn once, perhaps, to look again at the far distant pink cliffs of Utah or the wave-like dome of Trumbull Mountain. When I saw Mose trailing close behind me, my yell halted the colonel. "'Well, I'll be darned,' ejaculated he, as Mose hove in sight. "'Come here, you old rascal. He was a tired dog, but had no sheepish air about him, such as he had worn when lagging in from deer chases. He wagged his tail and flopped down to pant and pant, as if to say, "'What's wrong with you guys? Boys, for two cents I'd go back and put Jude on that trail.' It's just possible that Mose treat a lion. Well, I expect there's more likelihood of his chasing the lion over the rim, so we may as well keep on. The strange thing is that Sounder wasn't with Mose. There may have been two lions. You see, we are up a tree ourselves. I've known lions to run in pairs, and also a mother to keep four two-year-olds with her. But such cases are rare. Here in this country, well, maybe they run around and have parties. As we left the brakes behind, we got out upon a level pinion flat. A few cedars grew within the pinions, deer runways and trails were thick. 
Boy, look at that, said Jones. This is great lion country, the best I ever saw. He pointed to the sunken red shapeless remains of two horses, and near them a ghastly scattering of bleached bones. A lion lair right here on the flat. Those two horses were killed early this morning. See no signs of their carcasses having been covered with brush and dirt. I've got to learn lion lore over again, that's certain. As we paused at the head of the depression, which appeared to be a gap in the rim wall, filled with massed pinions and splintered piles of yellow stone, I caught Sounder going through some interesting moves. He stopped to smell a bush, then he lifted his head and electrified me with a great, deep-sounding bay. "'Hi there. Listen to that,' yelled Jones. "'What's Sounder got? Give him room. Don't run him down. Easy now, old dog. Easy, easy.' Sounder suddenly broke down a trail. Moe's howled, Don barked and Teague let out his staccato yelp. They ran through the bush here, there, everywhere. Then all at once old Jude chimed in with her mellow voice, and Jones tumbled off his horse. "'By the Lord Harry, there's something here.' "'Here, Colonel, here's the brush,' Sounder smelt. "'And there's a sandy trail under it,' I called. "'There go Don and Teague down into the break,' cried Frank. "'They've got a hot scent.' Jones stooped over the place I designated to jerk up with a reddening face. As he flung himself onto the saddle, roared out, After Sounder, old Tom, old Tom, old Tom. We all heard Sounder, and at the moment of Jones' discovery, Moe's got the scent and plunged ahead of us. Ay, 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 yelled the colonel. Frank's scent spot forward like a white streak. Sounder called to us in irresistible bays, which Moe's answered, and then crippled Jude bayed in baffled impotent distress. The atmosphere was charged with that lion. As if by magic, the excitation communicated itself to all, and men, horses, and dogs reacted in accord. The ride through the forest had been a jaunt. This was a steeplechase, a mad, heedless, perilous, glorious race, and we had for a pacemaker a cowboy mounted on a tireless mustang. Always it seemed to me, while the wind rushed, the brush whipped, I saw Frank far ahead sitting his saddle as if glued there, holding his reins loosely forward. To see him ride was a beautiful sight. Jones let out his Comanche yell at every dozen jumps, and Wallace sent back a thrilling wahoo. In the excitement I again checked my horse, and when I remembered I loosed the bridle. How the noble animal responded! The pace he settled into dazed me. I could hardly distinguish the deer trail down which he was thundering. I lost my comrades ahead, the pinion blurred in my sight, I only faintingly heard the hounds. It occurred to me we were making for the brakes, but I did not think of checking Satan. I thought only of flying on faster and faster. On, on, old fellow, stretch out. Never lose this race. We've got to be there at the finish, I called to Satan, and he seemed to understand and stretched lower, further, quicker. The brush pounded my legs and clutched and tore my clothes. The wind whistled, the pinion branches cut and whipped my face. Once I dodged to the left as Satan swerved to the right, with the result that I flew out of the saddle and crashed into a pinion tree, which marvelously brushed me back into the saddle. The wild yells and deep bays sounded nearer. Satan tripped and plunged down, throwing me as gracefully as an aerial tumbler wings his flight. I alighted in a bush. Without feeling a scratch or pain, as Satan recovered and ran past, I did not seek to make him stop, but getting a good grip on the pommel, I vaulted up again. Once more he raced like a wild mustang, and from nearer and nearer in front 
pealed the alluring sounds of the chase. Satan was creeping close to Wallace and Jones, with Frank looming white through the occasional pinions. Then all dropped out of sight to appear again suddenly. They had reached the first break. Soon I was upon it. Two deer ran out of the ravine, almost brushing my horse in the haste. Satan went down and up in a few giant strides. Only the narrow ridge separated us from another break. It was up and down. Then for Satan, a work to which he manfully set himself. Occasionally I saw Wallace and Jones, but heard them oftener. All the time the breaks grew deeper, till finally Satan had to zigzag his way down and up. Discouragement fastened on me, when from the summit of the next ridge I saw Frank far down the break, with Jones and Wallace not a quarter of a mile away from him. I sent out a long, exultant yell as Satan crashed into the hard, dry wash in the bottom of the break. I knew from the way he quickened under me that he intended to overhaul somebody, perhaps because of the clear going or because my frenzy had cooled to a thrilling excitement which permitted detail I saw clearly and distinctly the speeding horseman down the ravine. I picked out the smooth pieces of ground ahead, and with the slightest touch of the rein on his neck guided Satan into them. How he ran! The light, quick beats of his hoofs were regular, pounding. Seeing Jones and Wallace sail high in the air, I knew they had jumped a ditch. Thus prepared, I managed to stick on when it yawned before me, and Satan never slacking, lipped up and up, giving me a new swing. Dust began to settle in little clouds before me. Frank, far ahead, had turned his mustang up the side of the break. Wallace, within hailing distance now, turned to wave me a hand. The rushing wind fairly sang in my ears. The walls of the break were confused blurs of yellow and green. At every stride Satan seemed to swallow a rod of the white trail. Jones began to scale the ravine, heading up obliquely, far on the side of where Frank had vanished, and, as Wallace followed suit, I turned Satan. I caught Wallace at the summit, and we raced together out upon another flat opinion. We heard Frank and Jones yelling in a way that caused us to spur our horses frantically. Spot, gleaming white near a clump of green pinions, was our guiding star. That last quarter of a mile was a ringing run, a ride to remember. As our mounts crashed back with stiff forelegs and haunches, Wallace and I leapt off and darted into the clump of pinions, whence issued a hair-raising melody of yells and barks. I saw Jones, then Frank, both waving their arms, when Mose and Sounder, running wildly aimlessly about, "'Look there!' rang in my ear, and Jones smashed me on the back with a blow which at any ordinary time would have laid me flat. In the low, stubby pinion tree, scarce twenty feet from us, was a tawny form. An enormous mountain lion, as large as an African lioness, stood planted with huge, round legs on two branches, and he faced us gloomily, neither frightened nor fierce. He watched the running dogs with pale yellow eyes, waved his massive head, and switching a long, black, tough tail. "'It's old Tom, sure as you're born, it's old Tom,' yelled Jones. "'There are no two lions like that in one country. Hold still now. Judy's here, and she'll see him. She'll show him to the other hounds. Hold still.' We heard Jude coming at a fast pace for a lame dog, and we saw her presently running with her nose down for a moment, then up. She entered the clump of trees and bumped her nose against the pinion. Old Tom was in, and looked up like a dog that knew her business. The series of wild howls she broke into quickly brought Sounder and Mose to her side. They, too, saw the big lion not fifteen feet over their heads. 
We were all yelling and trying to talk at once, in some such state as the dogs. Here, Mose, come down out of that, hoarsely shouted Jones. Mose had begun to climb the thick, many-branched low pinion tree. He paid not the slightest attention to Jones, who screamed and raged at him. Cover the lion, cried he to me. Don't shoot unless he crouches to jump on me. The little beaded front sight wavered slightly as I held my rifle leveled at the grim, snarling face, and out of the corner of my eye, as it were, I saw Jones dash in under the lion and grasp Mose by the hind leg and haul him down. He broke from Jones and leaped again into the first low branch. His master then grasped the collar and carried him to where he stood and held him choking. Boys, we can't keep Tom up there. When he jumps, keep out of his way. Maybe we can chase him up a better tree. Old Tom suddenly left the branches, swinging violently and hitting the ground like a huge cat on springs. He bounded off, tail up, in a most ludicrous manner. His running, however, did not lack speed, for he quickly outdistanced the bursting hounds. A stampede for horses succeeded this move. I had difficulty in closing my camera, which I had forgotten until the last moment, and got behind the others. Satan sent the dust flying and the pinion branches crashing. Hardly had I time to bewail my ill luck in being left when I dashed out of a quick growth of trees to come upon my companions, all dismounted on the rim of the Grand Canyon. "'He's gone down! He's gone down!' raged Jones, stomping the ground. "'What luck! What miserable luck! But don't quit. Spread along the rim, boys, and look for him. Cougars can't fly. There's a break in the rim somewhere.' The rock wall on which we dizzily stood dropped straight down for a thousand feet to meet a long pinion-covered slope, which graded a mile to cut off into what must have been the second wall. We were far west of Clark's Trail now, and faced a point above where Kanab Canyon, a red gorge a mile deep, met the Great Canyon. As I ran along the rim, looking for a fissure or break, my gaze seemed impellingly drawn by the immensity of this thing I could not name, and for which I had no intelligible emotion. Two wahoos in the rear turned me back in double-quick time, and hastening by the horses I found the three men grouped at the head of a narrow break. He went down there. Wallace saw him around the base of that tottering crag. The break was wedge-shaped, with the sharp end toward the rim, and it descended so rapidly as to appear almost perpendicular. It was a long, steep slide of small weathered shale in a place that no man in his right senses would have ever considered going down. But Jones, designating Frank and me, said in his cool, quick voice, "'You fellows go down, take Jude and Sounder in leash. If you find his trail below along the wall, yell to us. Meanwhile, Wallace and I will hang over the rim and watch for him.' Going down, in one sense, was much easier than it had appeared. For the reason that once started, we moved on sliding beds of weathered stone. Each of us now had an avalanche for a steed. Frank forged ahead with a roar, and then, seeing danger below, tried to get out of the mass, but the stones were like quicksand. Every step he took sunk him in deeper. He grasped the smooth cliff to find holding impossible. The slide poured over a fall like so much water. He reached and caught a branch of a pinion, and lifting his feet up, hung on till the treacherous area of moving stones had passed. While I had been absorbed in his predicament, my avalanche augmented itself by slide on slide, perhaps loosened by his, and before I knew it, I was sailing down with ever-increasing momentum. The sensation was distinctly pleasant, and a certain spirit, before restrained in me, at last ran riot. 
The slide narrowed at the drop where Frank had jumped, and the stones poured over in the stream. I jumped also, but having a rifle in one hand, failed to hold, and plunged down into the slide again. My feet were held this time as in a vice. I kept myself upright and waited. Fortunately, the jumble of loose stones slowed and stopped, enabled me to crawl over to one side, where there was comparatively good footing. Below us, for fifty yards, was a sheet of rough stone, as bare as washed granite well could be. We slid down this in regular schoolboy fashion, and had reached another restricted neck in the fissure when a sliding crash above warned us that the avalanches had decided to move of their own free will. Only a fraction of a moment had we to find footing along the yellow cliff, when, with a crackling roar, the mass struck the slippery granite. If we had been on that slope, our lives would not have been worth a grain of dust, flying in clouds above us. Huge stones that had formed the bottom of the slides were shot ahead, and rolling, leaping, whizzed by us with frightful velocity and the remainder groaned and growled its way down, to thunder over the second fall and die out in a distant rumble. The hounds had hung back, and were not easily coaxed down to us. From there on, down to the base of the gigantic cliff, we descended with little difficulty. "'We might meet the old gray cat anywhere along here,' said Frank. The wall of yellow limestone had shelves, ledges, fissures, and cracks, any one of which might have concealed a lion. On these places I turned dark, uneasy glances. It seemed to me events succeeded one another so rapidly that I had no time to think, to examine, to prepare. We were rushed from one sensation to another. "'Hey, look here,' said Frank. "'Here's his tracks. Did you ever see the like of that?' Certainly I had never fixed my eyes on such enormous cat tracks as appeared in the yellow dust at the base of the rim wall. The mere sight of them was sufficient to make a man tremble. "'Hold in the dogs, Frank,' I called. "'Listen, I think I heard a yell.' From far above came a yell, which, though thinned out by distance, was easily recognized as Jones's. We returned to the opening of the break, and, throwing our heads back, looked up the slide to see him coming down. "'Wait for me! Wait for me! I saw the lion go in a cave. Wait for me!' With the same roar and crack and slide of rocks, as had attended our descent, Jones bore down on us. For an old man, it was a marvelous performance. He walked on the avalanche as though he wore seven-league boots, and presently, as we began to dodge whizzing boulders, he stepped down to us, whirling his coiled lasso. His jaw bulged out. A flash made fire in his cold eyes. Boys, we got old Tom in a corner. I worked along the rim north and looked over every place I could. Now, maybe you won't believe it, but I heard him pant. Yes, sir, he panted, like the tired lion he is. Well, presently I saw him lying along the base of the rim wall. His tongue was hanging out. You see, he's a heavy lion and not used to running long distances. Come on now. It's not far. Hold in the dogs. You there with the rifle, lead off, and keep your eyes peeled. Single file, we passed along the shadow of the great cliff. A wide trail had been worn in the dust. A lion runway, said Jones. Don't you smell the cat? Indeed, the strong odor of cat was very pronounced, and that, without the big, fresh tracks, made the skin of my face tighten and chill. As we turned a jutting point in the wall, a number of animals, which I did not recognize, plunged helter-skelter down the canyon slope. Rocky Mountain sheep, exclaimed Jones. 
Look, well, this is a discovery. I never heard of a bighorn in the canyon. It was indicative of the strong grip old Tom had on us that we at once forgot the remarkable fact of coming upon these rare sheep in such a place. Jones halted us presently before a deep curve described by the rim wall, the extreme end of which terminated across the slope in an impassable projecting corner. See across there, boys? See that black hole? Old Tom's in there. What's your plan? queried the cowboy sharply. Wait. We'll slip up to get better lie of the land. We worked our way noiselessly along the rim wall curve for several hundred yards and came to a halt again, this time with the splendid command of the situation. The trail ended abruptly at the dark cave. So menacingly staring at us, and the corner of the cliff had curled back upon itself. It was a box trap, with a drop at the end too great for any beast, a narrow slide of weathered stone running down, and the rim wall of trail. Old Tom would plainly be compelled to choose one of these directions if he left his cave. Frank, you and I will keep to the wall and stop near the scrub pinion, this side of the hole. If I rope him, I can use that tree. Then he turned to me. Are you to be dependent on here? Why? What do you want me to do? I demanded, and my whole breast seemed to sink in. You cut across the head of this slope, and take up your position in the slide below the cave. Say just by that big stone. From there you can command the cave, our position, and your own. Now, if it is necessary to kill this lion to save me or Frank, or, of course, yourself, can you be depended upon to kill him? felt a queer sensation about my heart, and a strange tightening of the skin upon my face. What a position for me to be placed in! For one instant I shook like a quavering aspen leaf. Then, because of the pride of a man, or perhaps inherited instincts, cropping out of this perilous moment, I looked up and answered quietly, Yes, I will kill him. Old Tom is cornered, and he'll come out. He can run only two ways along this trail or down that slide. I'll take my stand by the scrub pinion there so I can get a hitch if I rope him. Frank, when I give you word, let the dogs go. Gray, you block the slide. If he makes at us, even if I do get my rope on him, kill him. Most likely he'll jump downhill. Then you'll have to kill him. Be quick. Now loose the hounds. Hi, hi, hi. I jumped into the narrow slide of weathered stones and looked up. Jones' centurion yell rose high above the clamor of the hounds. He whirled his lasso. A huge yellow form shot over the trail and hit the top of the slide with a crash. The lasso streaked out with arrowy swiftness, circled and snapped viciously close to old Tom's head. "'Kill him! Kill him!' roared Jones. Then the lion leaped seemingly into the air above me. Instinctively I raised my little automatic rifle. I seemed to hear a million bellowing reports. The tawny body, with its grim, snarling face, blurred in my sight. I heard a roar of sliding stones at my feet. I felt a rush of wind. I caught a confused glimpse of a whirling wheel of fur rolling down the slide. Then Jones and Franks were pounding on me and yelling, I know not what. From far above came floating down a long wahoo. I saw Wallace silhouetted against the blue sky, felt the hot barrel of my rifle, and shuddered at the bloody stones below me. Then, and only then, I realized with weakening legs that old Tom had just jumped at me and had jumped to his death. End of chapter 12